0: What's going on, everybody? You got Evan Knowles and Logan Jones here at the Middle Tech Podcast. And as you know, we cover technology uh, pretty much every episode. Uh, Entrepreneurs, startups, and technology is kind of our thing. Uh, So when we say we interviewed um, a lumber company this week, uh, rest assured, it's a very technology-focused episode. It really is. Uh, So the thing about the lumber space is it's a very quiet industry. Uh, It's a very overlooked industry. But when you really think about it, like the homes that you live in, the floors you walk on, the cabinets you see, the furniture you see in a home, the commercial buildings you see in the world are all mostly constructed using lumber. So it's just at the base of everything. It's at the base of everything. But uh, what you might not think is that behind all that lumber is a very technology advanced facility. Um, And so we sat down with uh, Sawyer and Ray White, who are cousins. They are, I think, I said, I think they said, the fifth generation of their company, um, and they're helping take to the next generation. And we sat down and talked to them about all kinds of things.
1: Yeah, and you know, they mentioned that uh, Moorhead, Kentucky, at one point was the hardwood capital of the world. So you know, it's just one of those little little things that you hear about. And like Evan said, it's kind of a, a quieter industry, um, but that doesn't excuse them from needing the need for innovation. And you know, you hear you hear about companies in this region like App Harvest. Um, new Frontier Outfitters who actually introduced us to these guys for this episode, uh, Land Betterment. And these these are the people who are shaping uh, this region right now, and they're getting a lot of attention for it. Um, but at the same time, it's companies like Harold White Lumber who are, are, you know, adding in layers of sustainability and efficiency into their business. And it's making a, a very big impact uh, on the way that business like that is conducted and the way that, uh, you know, these goods that we rely so heavily on for our infrastructure – are produced. So, you know, this is also a really special episode for me just because I'm from this area. Uh, I've spent a lot of time in Moorhead, Kentucky, and I know what this region is capable of. Uh, so to sit down and talk with uh, fifth generation, um, you know, these guys who are, are going to be building this company into the future, uh, I can just tell how smart how smart they are and where they want to take this company and how they want to introduce technology into it to continue to grow it uh, and shape this region. It's just really exciting, exciting for me. Um, it's very obvious for me to see Uh, where this region is going and we have some really good people at the helm that are are leading that innovation so we're excited to to get into it Um, let's talk lumber welcome back. Uh, we're sitting here uh, with Ray and Sawyer White of Harold White Lumber. Um, this is going to be an interesting episode for us because we are focusing on a legacy industry and we're going to talk about how technology has been introduced to it and how the younger generation is now coming up and uh, their plans to add some innovation to the industry. So we actually got introduced to, to you guys through some of our good friends, uh, Josh and Jared Ravenscraft. So I know you guys are. Good friends with them, we'll go ahead and give them the shout out. Yeah, so, absolutely, man. Yeah, thank you guys for for driving up to Lexington to record with us.
2: Our pleasure. Yeah, yeah thanks absolutely. for
1: having us on. Nice. Yeah, so we'll go ahead and start by letting you guys introduce yourselves real briefly. Uh, if you want to talk about uh, where you guys grew up and then where you are currently, um, education background as well. Uh, we'll start with we'll Sawyer here, and then we'll we'll go into Ray as well.
3: Yeah, so Ray and I both grew up, you know, in the small town of Moorhead. Both uh, graduated from Round County Senior High School, and attended Morehead State University. I am in my last year of college. I'm a finance major working full-time at our family business, you know, trying to learn the ins and outs of this business and see how we can change the narrative and shake up an ancient industry that's still got a lot of potential left.
2: Yep, pretty much our backgrounds match from start to beginning, or from start to end. Uh, graduated in Morehead, uh, let's see, during the summer. Um have we have both worked in our business since we were pretty much able to I started when I think I was 17 maybe and him probably around the same time quit basketball to work so that was how that started Um, in fact I to my knowledge I was the first outside of our parents and their siblings to work for our grandfather and then he came next and then his brother will probably be the next one after that so pretty interesting so is
1: this something that when you guys were young that it was just kind of you wanted to take it over it was known that you're going to take it over or was it something that your your the older generations kind of had to talk you
3: into
2: uh i think it was always expected of us mm-hmm. uh, right
3: yeah we grew up you know running around on the lumberyard and that was a you know that was our livelihood that was our p- playground and and learning kind of the ins and outs you know as we were coming up you know there's a lot to take in about our operation and and over the course of our lifetime, really, we learned a lot from our grandfather and our our dads too.
1: Yeah, and one of the things I kind of want to dive into here is I don't think many people realize, you know, how important the lumber industry really is. Like, lumber is seems to be pretty much the foundation of, you know, furniture and buildings and just all sorts of infrastructure that's all around us all the time. So I kind of want to take this conversation from when you're you're the oldest oldest generation. I'm not. Let's see, would that be your great Great granddad?
3: Yeah, great granddad. Great, great granddad. Yeah, so
1: (laughs) when he started that, and then I want to start to transition it into how it's changed and then where it is today and and where you guys want to take it as well. So let's start with uh, when it was founded and uh, why it was founded and and talk about uh, that story of your your great granddad getting into it.
3: So my grandfather, Harold, founded our company in 1968 with four employees. Um, He primarily bought lumber from local sawmills in eastern Kentucky, um, once he received that lumber on our lumber yard in Moorhead, he would inspect it and grade it um, and prep it for shipment to furniture manufacturers around the greater Appalachian area. In the 1970s, he saw a shift in the market <clears throat> and realized the need for uh, kiln drying capacity, which was a fairly modern technology for the time. He, um, once he installed these kilns, it really opened up a lot more markets domestically and internationally, That's about that time in the mid-70s is when he established his first long-standing loyal customer in Europe, and through that relationship, and many others along the way, formed a a really pretty good network, you know, internationally for our lumber, you know, and once the demand kindly outpaced the supply, he installed a a sawmill on-site at our Moorhead facility, and ever since then, you know, we've just been producing our product there on site, and it allows us to have strict quality control measures all the way through the entire process um, until our product lands on their wood-consuming facility.
2: So
1: Sweet. Okay, so is, is America kind of known for for lumber, or
2: is is a lot of it being imported from other countries as well? I was talking to him on the way up here. You know, as Americans, typically we think of really nice exotic woods, and we think of, like, mahogany, stuff that's not from the U.S., Now, I go to China with my dad annually because that's our largest customer. The China as a whole is. Whenever we go over there, it's pretty fascinating. Everyone in that industry always refers to North American hardwoods. When people from all over the world are over there to sell, and they always refer to this area of the country, that's where they want their hardwoods. Eastern Kentucky.
0: Really? Eastern Kentucky is known internationally. wood appalachian hardwood <laughs> Man, known
1: for more than just coal yeah yeah
0: surprisingly <laughs> i didn't know that so what are some other like well-known regions that wood comes from does wood come from does uh, canada and kind of like that northern part of the united yeah like, new england new, uh, uh you
3: know michigan uh you know our southern area of the country has some um, good hardwood as well but really primarily the appalachian region is known as a premier producing hardwood uh you know area and region kentucky i think ranks one of the top third hardwood producing states in the nation so
0: something else to be proud of yeah, hey, yeah exactly right there so. paint yes. the picture of like how big the industry is and some of the uses of lumber you know, you mentioned you mentioned earlier you know housing furniture give us a percentage or an idea of like the percentage of where lumber is going to
3: so you know lumber the lumber industry in general it's a it's a major economic driving force for the state of kentucky you know it employs i think indirectly around 50,000 kentuckians you know put food on the table for them clothes on their backs and has for nearly two you know 200 years <clears throat> the primary you know primary uses for our products are anywhere from flooring and homes <clears throat> trim and homes um, doors and homes stairs and homes furniture that we use you know all the way to you know on an industrial side of things you see uh, horse farm fencing right so especially in this area in the bluegrass state right we've got a lot of horse farms and provide a lot of fencing to those horse farms Um, and really going back 200 years ago you would you saw this industry play a pivotal role in opening up you know very rural parts of the state such as eastern kentucky to commercialization and uh, human life you know through the railroads we provided railroad ties to the railroad industry that allowed for access you know to deep parts of the state yeah. and still do. Yeah, and still do to yeah.
0: this day, so. so it's yeah, it's an extensive extensive in- industry yeah. that, that gives me a good idea. I got it. Yeah. Um, so when you guys get like give us an idea of like the transition of the wood when you get it to the finished product. Are you guys get in like whole trees with the bark still on them or talk about what that looks like when it comes in your doors and when it leaves.
2: Well, we have independent loggers and they daily bring in their their load of logs and we buy them on ground send them through the sawmill, they're cut into boards, and then we transition into drying them. And then for his dad's purpose, that's where they'll make interior molding and so forth.
3: Yeah, and I didn't touch on that early in our history, but we've also got a secondary molding millwork facility, and we kind of saw the need of that back in the 80s to vertically integrate. I say I saw the need, but but my grandfather saw the need, right, to vertically integrate even further, and he did that by providing, you know, finished finished goods, such as, you know, if you were building a house and you needed interior moldings for your house, you needed crown molding or or door jams for your house, right, or, or baseboard or flooring, that we could sell directly here domestically, you know, out of a retail office in Moorhead. And by doing that really allowed us to strategically position ourselves to just really widen our product line to where we weren't just offering industrial products, if that makes sense. You
0: know. Yeah. How, how big is the company today? We employ roughly
3: around 100 people and have a vendor network of over 50 independent loggers that wow. supply us hardwood. Very cool. Uh, sourced, you know, obviously from Eastern Kentucky. So.
0: Yeah. Give us an idea of how uh, it's, it's beginning to change. So, you know, we're obviously a middle tech right now. So our, our podcast focuses on entrepreneurship, but also very heavy focus on technology. Um, and, you know, you guys, when we first heard of you all, we were like eh, lumber. Yeah. I don't know about that <laughs> old school. But we industry, got on the phone yeah. with y'all, yeah. you know. And we were like, uh, question y'all about what kind of technology yeah. and how is Literally it adapting in the industry. And you know, it sounds like it's really um, picking up steam. And you guys are using some really cool technology. So, give us an idea of some technologies that you guys are using and how it's changed the business.
2: I'll start off broad. Um, our workforce is nowadays labor-intensive jobs are not you know, very attractive. Yeah. And that's one con- negative connotation to our business. Uh, one thing I told him a few weeks ago that whenever we sort of grab the reins and step into charge, we'll have to start looking towards full automation, not for the whole place, obviously, but you know, at getting workers that want to do- pull lumber off chains, that's not something, you know, as a livelihood you want to, you wanted to use. So stuff like that, um, Really, the automation comes down to two
3: things, right? You've got your software side of things and you've got your material handling side of things because what we're dealing with is heavy, large, labor-intensive products to move around, you know, 20,000 pounds of lumber on a lift. You know, you're, you're on the end of a chain pulling big red oak boards, you know, 15 inches wide all day long. So the jobs that we're really focused on now are shifting from what used to be very labor-intensive jobs to more of a technician-style, you know, based job kind of employment. <clears throat> it's getting a lot more technical with this technology, you know, really at the, the turn of the 21st century is when our industry saw this boom of scanning software, inventory management software, optimization, and with that opened the door to all of these new jobs, right, and the, the technicians that have to work on that kind of thing, and and that's where we're focused on is how do we employ this technology, but also employ the people that know how to work on it and are passionate about working on it. You know, you're taking, looking at kids in high school, right, that are at our local wood shops and, and are passionate about working with wood. How do we take them and implement them into a position in our company where they can continue to do what they're passionate about, which is, you know, working with wood and craftsmanship, and and where do they fit in to our company?
0: Yeah. Interesting.
1: Yeah. And one of the parts of the business I wanted to touch on as well that I thought was really interesting was your guys' focus on sustainability. Because when you think of a lumber company, the first thing that comes to mind is typically not sustainability. You think of cutting trees down and that just deforestation. Yeah, Yeah. all of that stuff. But when we got on the phone, you guys talked about you pretty much use every single part of the tree and every single part of, of the byproduct that comes from turning this in into the lumber that we use to build everything. So touch a little bit about on how you use, you know, I know you mentioned the sawdust and touch on every step of the process and how you guys make sure that that, that is well used.
2: Before that, I want to say, like I said, I'd go to China annually and there's always these conferences over there. And each year they always use the same presentation, albeit updated numbers and everything because they want to teach the Chinese proper sustainability. China is pretty notorious because they they deforested their forests. <laughs> um, well, and
3: a lot of their their forest was nationalized, right? It's government owned. It's not it's not private citizens that you know that take right. pride in taking care of the resources like we do here in the state.
2: But they always used a graphic showing the U.S. over uh, probably two hundred years and the growth in the forest up between those two hundred years and any given year, whatever year I was over there, that year was the highest in um, forest growth for the U.S. And it continues that trend where uh, you have the numbers on that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the United States and our hardwood forest, right? Our our forests
3: have been net positive on tree growth for roughly a hundred years. And what that means is more trees are growing in our hardwood forest, right, than we're harvesting each year. So the average dining room table set, right, in the the Appalachian hardwood forest, only takes twenty seconds to grow. So a a furniture set, for example, if this was a dining room table right that we're sitting at, this only takes twenty seconds to grow that wood in the Appalachian forest.
1: So are you saying, like, collectively, like all the trees growing? Yes. No way. That's crazy. And a minute
3: for the average four four person American family home is one minute of flooring. (laughs) You serious?
1: I think that kind of puts into perspective because you see forests. How forest, sustainable wow. it, it, it
3: really? I mean, it's it's nuts. Well, I we, mean,
1: you, you see forests and you don't think of them as just like you know they're growing, but we never see forests like getting exactly taller, right. so you
3: don't think yeah. about it really. With that being said, the exact numbers are: for every tree that we remove, two and a half grow back in its place. And the science behind that is 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 called the canopy, right? In the forest, open. So when you when you cut down a tree it allows the sunlight to penetrate the forest floor, which allows for photosynthesis, which allows these younger saplings on the forest floor that were competing for sunlight because they needed growth, allows them then the chance to grow upward. And so <clears throat> with this thing called best management practices, which all of our loggers employ, it, it's a sustainable method of harvesting these trees, you know, trees are like any other crop in the world that you have to harvest them at their maturity or they will die. And that's a resource gone to waste. And so that's kind of the, the route that we're taking <clears throat> is that, you know, this is a sustainable industry and the science is there to prove it. You know, the numbers are there to prove it. It's just, we have to communicate that better to the public on how we're doing it. We have to be more transparent, open-ended, are
0: there laws around that? So, like, is there a law around how you can harvest and how you have to make sure that, you know, two trees, two and a half trees are there for everyone harvested? There's, there are programs,
3: and we're a part of one. It's called Appalachian Hardwood Verified Sustainable. It's a third-party audit system that rigorously um, audits our operation, right, to make sure that we're doing it right. Now, we're not the guys out there on the ground picking up chainsaws, cutting trees. There's, you know, that's just not our day-to-day jobs, Right. But they uh, this party goes through and audits where we get our logs from, where we get our supply from, the character of our vendors, you know, all these different things to then give us a seal of approval saying, hey, your products are verified sustainable. And, and that's kind of actual, you know, laws in place. That's the beauty of, of being private landowners, which, you know, the majority of the United States is, you know, forests are held by private landowners.
0: Yeah, and go back, you know, go back into that story of how you guys are you making sure there's not a whole lot of waste from, from yeah, your product. Yeah. Like keep keep that chain going on sustainability and how it all ties in together. So we
3: are a zero wood waste facility. Um, with this new technology, like I've talked about earlier, that really broke through, you know, in the nineties and, and at the turn of the twenty first century. It's allowed us to utilize hundred percent of that tree, right? For, so our primary produced product is grade lumber, which is then used for furniture manufacturing, flooring manufacturing, millwork manufacturing, a whole you know variety of products. But the byproducts, such as the sawdust that is used when we're sawing into the logs, is then turned around and fed into a waste-fired boiler that's used to heat our warehouses and also dry the lumber. The lumber has to be dried for use in interior applications. So when we refer to kiln drying to put it in layman's terms is sticking that lumber into an oven and removing all the moisture content out of that lumber so then when you go and lay it in your house for a floor your your floorings not cupping up and and, and you know have all these defects you know related to moisture content so our sawdust back to the point of being a zero wood waste facility is used to add value to our product on down the line in the kiln drying phase and also to heat our warehouses. And, you know, people don't realize how efficient really this industry is when it comes to using byproducts that it produces and even as well as the wood chips, right? So the unusable wood that the fall off of the lumber that we're producing, the the non-usable wood then goes through a grinder, a chipper, chipped into wood chips, which makes your cardboard boxes your toilet paper (laughs) i mean a whole you know a whole different variety of paper products that we use every single day
2: and it's important to say that you know global warming is a very relevant topic right now and what a lot of people don't understand is if you if a tree falls over in a forest and it decays all of the carbon it's absorbed is released back into the atmosphere whenever you cut a tree down it's still living and then you process it as long as you dry it that tree or that That wood is going to remain intact, and it's going to hold that carbon through its lifespan. Yes, and so that
3: carbon is then banked into that wood fiber for the remainder of its life. So, you know, we breathe out CO2, right? Trees breathe in CO2 and store that CO2 in their wood fibers and cellulose, which then is, you know, hopefully at maturity cut, that carbon is sunk and banked in that tree and not released back out into the environment. It's really a productive system when you start looking at the science-based logic behind it.
0: That's super interesting. And to jump back to the, to the, techni- to the technology side of this, because I'm sure the sustainability and the technology you know, are hand-in-hand. Hand. It sounds like it is based on what you just described. Um, are most of the advances in the technology that you guys have employed software or hardware? To
3: answer that 100% accurately, I would say both the the hard as fast as the software side of things has developed you and know and we, real quick like what's an yeah. example of the software it's so like so the t- software yeah doing. absolutely so the software that we employ at our mill is when i say scanning technology i mean that we're using laser thin measurements right i mean that we're we're maximizing the greatest possible yield out of our wood so that you know, it's it's and I don't know where I've heard this, but I'm gonna I'm going steal a quote. It's not about what you make, but it's about what you save, right? It's about what you keep. And that's what we're focused on is how much lumber can we keep in a usable product because ultimately that's money recovered, right? And so that software has allowed us to to see yields that we would have never seen. Our grandfather my father would have never seen in the past when you were doing things the old, you know, the old way. This technology has, has maximized yield. Uh, obviously, it's much faster than the old methods and uh, much more accurate when it comes Ex- to... Explain the scanner and the molder. So in 2016, we had fairly large capital investment in our secondary manufacturing facility where we you know, primarily produce molding and millwork and, and interior home finishings. <clears throat> that, that investment was in a scanner and chop saw. So this scanner is scanning this board as it goes through it's an x-ray machine like any of us humans would go into if we were going to the doctor right it scans the board measures measures it you know looks at all the different defects that that board has on it even inside of it at that point then that scanner communicates with a saw on down the line right on down the assembly line and tells that saw exactly on that board where to make the cuts to get the most value the most wood fibers, and the fastest, most efficient way to saw that up. So that scanner, the hardware side of things, is communicating with the software side of things on the saw on this other end of the assembly line and communicating within seconds, I mean sending signals back and forth, telling it the best, most efficient way to saw that lumber up into usable pieces for us then to go on and and mill to other products that we offer.
1: It sounds like it's the perfect marriage of, of it is. hardware I mean, and software. It it's like you the have hardware to, it's, has to
3: communicate with software and vice
1: versa. In it's it's critical anyway. how
3: fast that they communicate back and forth. You know, it's it's seconds. Every second they're they're sending signals. It, you know, it increases def, most definitely increases the value of, of what we do yeah. and how we do it. Um it's 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 in my eyes it's it's it, this is a must or die right yeah. technology you have to have it or you're not going to be here in 10 years especially in an industry that depends so heavily on lumber recovery right we have to we have to max i mean it's our natural we would be bad stewards of our, this resource if we didn't try to maximize it the yield out of it is what i'm saying the wood fiber you know it's 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 a must if you're in this type of business
1: yeah so I'm sure that this all this like technology and the advances in this stuff has been pretty recent additions to the company. Has it been like a a pretty rapid uh development of, of these new technologies into the business? Or when can you guys remember seeing seeing all of this new technology and hardware start flowing into the, the sawmill and the definitely factory?
2: well definitely recent, uh especially in terms of the history of the business. Um and even more recent for us because we haven't been a part of it for nearly as long as anyone else in our family. Um, Most definitely.
3: I mean, the success of our industry is predicated in, in this technology. Really, it is. I mean, that's a lot to say. But <clears throat> within the last 10 years, we've really seen an advancement. And it's weird to think, but really technology has just caught up to our industry in a sense that technology has just now been capable of these algorithms the scanning technology you know we were doing things obviously in a manual sense um you know we knew by eyesight you know we could tell where to cut you know doing all this different stuff but the technology really within the last 10 years is where we've seen the fastest and quickest advancements you know it's every year they've got some new and improved product
0: where's the technology coming from is that an american company that's a, that's doing a lot of the innovation or is that somewhere internationally we're seeing a lot of foreign companies um the one that we partnered with
3: on our chop saw and x-ray machine is based out of denmark um you're seeing a lot of good stuff come from germany <laughs> obviously you know good engineers they, yeah, yeah very much so that very much so they know a lot about you know engineering and how to maximize yield when it comes to dealing with wood fiber. Um, Yeah, a lot of foreign outside, you know, you have your American companies too, but we're seeing a lot of Denmark, Germany, uh, European presence when it comes to optimizing wood resources.
2: To add on to that, to show how crucial it is to have good technology in our industry, we, was it last year, we had a yield analysis come in and inspect our sawmill see how uh how our margins were and they ran a test on our saw and it was off millimeters uh not be, n- the naked eye wouldn't recognize it 16th 32nd of an inch you know we're, and, we're dealing with you know yeah. just pin line you know yeah. and they they showed us that we were losing three quarters of a million uh feet of lumber annually just because we were off that that small amount, which equates to how much money did they, did you take it that far to see how much money that that was worth? I don't know the number, but it was a lot, roughly half a
0: million. Dollars. I mean, oh, not oh, just cow. that, cow. One, but, but, yeah. just because but, the
1: saw is like yeah. not is a little bit yeah. not calibrated. And yeah. that was one I mean, example.
3: Like I mean, there was multiples that they pointed out that equated to right. to roughly half a million dollars worth of lumber that we just you know we weren't recovering. And that's what I'm saying. That, I mean, the the success of this industry is predicated in. The advancements of this technology and, and maximizing the you know our natural
0: resource that we've depended on for so long how how big are some of the biggest lumber yards like <laughs> i mean you guys employ oh, 100, sure, 100 people price. so like there's give some, us an idea of some of your so
3: the some like our the big guys the big players right They're they're obviously i mean they're flying around on lear jets and you know they're they're there are six seven hundred million dollar companies, probably. Where are they located? Uh, mostly, really, the big guys: uh, New York, uh, Washington, Washington, the, yeah, Well, that Northeast and the Northwest. Yeah. Um, those are really the heavy hitters. I mean, they're they're moving huge volume. You know, we're moving twelve million board feet annually. They they might push out half a billion, maybe close to a billion. Yeah, I mean that's when you think about footage. Well, I mean that's a lot of
0: wood. So, so when you look at their trajectory compared to your history, what what was the what was difference. the difference?
3: It was my grandfather. It, we grew not by any means have we're some massive company. He grew grew it big enough to where he felt comfortable that his children would have a place in that company. It when at, when he first you know when he was still very active, he he had a role a uh, I can't remember the technical term for it is a. No, no grandchildren could work in the company. He didn't want any grandchildren in the company because there was so many. He had five children, right? And my dad, and my uncle Ray, are his dad, and Uncle yeah. Ray, are the only two that are left. And so
2: all five of them. He started just out. he
3: grew. He was on a. We were the first firm in Eastern Kentucky. I should have said that. I don't know why I didn't that that started drawing lumber and really? employing that technology. So you
1: guys work. were like the innovators in the industry at the time. Yeah, really.
3: And we were the first firm that I know of, probably in that whole part of the state, that that dried lumber. And really what that did was opened our international, and I said that, in our international markets. It allowed us to put that lumber into a container and ship it practically anywhere in the world without, um, you know, decay, without
2: defects occurring in transit. And not to break away, a little fun fact— Moorhead, as small as it is, used to be classified as yeah. the hardwood capital of the world. There was more hardwood being produced in Moorhead than anywhere else in the world. No shit. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. No dust. It's,
1: it's an industry that's it's it's, it's old, never going away though. It's ancient like, and it's quiet. You're, you're you always know? gonna need what in
3: in the you know, back on the sustainability part, I mean people just you know, there's a lot of negative connotations because you see it. But when you're seeing when you're seeing rainforest burn in South America, that's really primarily for or California. For, well, kind of for commercialization, you know, people are putting in shopping centers and stuff. You know, that's where. You, but but what's what's being done here in Eastern Kentucky and the Appalachia is selective, best management practices harvesting, which is going in, cutting the mature trees and leaving the young ones to grow.
2: That's why you have why you see all these forest fires out west. Improper forest management.
3: And that, and that is a result of our nationalized <laughs> forest out west versus you know the majority of the forest on the east, the east part, eastern part of the United States is privately owned, held by you know big land companies, private citizens.
0: Yeah. So in California, when you say they're mismanaging their forests, they're cut it like what so. That whenever
2: mean? your older trees, whenever they fall and they lay there and rot, it's just brush for fire.
0: Yeah. It's Kinlan. It acts,
3: and Trump. I think he caught all kinds of hell. Not about him, but he said that it, it acts as uh, I can It explodes, right? With fire. <laughs> it's, and it's not like, it's like that.
0: Exaggeration to the
3: exact. It's it's fuel, right? Yeah. So that dead. So when a tree reaches its mature age, which is around eighty years, it will fall. It will die at some point, whether that's from a lightning strike, very cold winter, another tree falling on top of it in that then you have all this deadwood laying on the forest floor. And when he referred to cleaning the forest, he's talking about removing this deadwood, which, which acts as as fuel for this yeah. fire. So that's why you see these, I mean, just awful forest fires out west is because their forests are, they're nationalized mostly out there.
0: Is uh, This is a question kind of just a, a macro. Um, when it comes to lumber, is there another material out there that threatens the lumber business? Like, looking into the future, you know, buildings and um, all kinds of things you guys are, that are built with wood now. Are there materials that are being developed that threaten the lumber industry?
3: Yeah, and so that's one thing that we have paid specific attention to, and and it's funny. A lot of these materials, such as laminates and and wood, you know, wood lookalikes, right, and, and concrete and tile and take far more energy to produce those types of products than, than wood does to take to produce. You know, we're, a study came out, I think, within the last three months, American Hardwood Export Council, and they specialize in the exportation of hardwood lumber to international markets in that our industry actually has a negative carbon footprint when you take a look at the carbon that we're banking in the products that we're producing versus these wood lookalikes tile, concrete, steel, you know, um, you know, they're not storing that carbon in life, you know, their product. So,
1: Yeah. Um, so kind of the next place I want to take this conversation is focusing on building this company here in Eastern Kentucky. So kind of broadly, I want each of you to describe what, how you view Eastern Kentucky or how would you describe Eastern Kentucky in 2020? It doesn't have to relate to lumber. Um, but just let's kind of hone in on this area of the country cause it's one I know we all, hold dear to our hearts here.
2: You know, I see it, and it's just changed so much in a positive way. You have companies like App Harvest. Uh, a lot more people are giving Appalachia, Kentucky, this area, just more chances, and they're willing to risk putting businesses there to, to live there, grow families. And, you know, growing up, all of my, I'm, I've lived here my whole life, my friends are always saying, I'd love to get out of Moorhead. I see it and I love Moorhead. I mean, I have nothing but respect for this area and what it has to offer.
3: I'm going to, you all were there at the App Harvest grand opening. I'm going to still line off Congressman Hal Rogers. I think he, he called it or referred to it as Silicon Holler. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we, we said, said tech. That a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> man, it, it's, you know, it, there's been a huge influx of obviously coming, even, you, you know, you got new frontier outfitters, Jared and Josh, you know establishing, you know, Appalachia's first outdoor clothing brand, you've got App Harvest that's changing the entire game of indoor controlled agriculture. You know, you've just got a lot of of good companies coming this way, seeing the untapped potential in our workforce. You know, our people are ready to go to work. They're skilled. You know, it's it's just an abundant supply of of, of, of workers, you know, ready to go to work.
1: Yeah. Speaking of
3: App Harvest,
1: what's it been like being in Moorhead and you know, knowing that this huge company is going to invest a ton of money into your community. Give us an idea of what the sentiment's been like in, in the actual city as App Harvest has come in and built this massive greenhouse. Yeah,
3: I think I can speak for many people from Moorhead. They are extremely thrilled and happy for their huge, you know, investment in, in our area. You know, it's it's greatly needed economic growth in our Region, you know, they they're playing a huge role in in driving this region forward. They, you know, they're just charging the way, breaking,
2: you know, through new barriers with with the technology that they employ at their facility. So I remember when the news broke that Moorhead was going to be the home of App Harvest, and I remember thinking, man, that is going to develop the 801 x where they're located incredibly fast. You know, more businesses are going to want to go there, more people are going to want to live there. And it was just exciting to think about.
1: Yeah, I th- I'm excited to see, you know, five, ten years down the line, what does Moorhead, Kentucky look like? Because they're, oh, they're bringing a ton of attention here. And they're also planning on having greenhouses kind of all around that area as well. So with Moorhead being the epicenter of it. Yeah. So it's just like, and then, you know, you got people like New Frontier Outfitters that are building that the, the first yeah. Appalachian clothing brand, all this stuff. I'm just super bullish on this whole part of the country. So one of the things that I love about this area of the, of the country and this state in particular, the thing I always mention is, is the, peop- is the people and you kind of hit on it there. Um, touch briefly on what, what do you guys love about this state? Uh, and maybe it's the people, maybe it's the, the natural beauty as well, but what, when you guys think of Kentucky and why you love it, what comes to mind?
3: Man, I think you can't go wrong with saying the culture, you know, the culture is is by far one of the richest cultures, you know, as far as heritage and history goes, and I think most certainly the country, you know, the people are a genuine, authentic type of people, you know, you you feel welcome when you come, you know, feel like you're going home almost, Um, you know, that's by far definitely what I would say I love most
2: about our area, you know, steeped in history. I'd personally say the outdoors and pretty avid outdoors guy. It may not look like it, but <laughs> I j- I just love spending time outside. Yeah, like hang out right? Right.
0: What's what's your hobby outside?
2: I would have to say whitewater kayaking. Really? Yeah, my cousin, oh, not yes. this cousin, different one, uh, he got me into it when I was younger and try to keep doing it. What are
0: your what are some of your favorite go-to spots?
2: Uh, the New River, West Virginia. That's we just went up there for my uh, birthday to, oh, really? to go
1: down the we went down the lower gully. We weren't brave enough for the
0: effort. <laughs> I have yet to do either. <laughs> uh, the Acoue now in uh, yeah, Blue Ridge, yeah.
2: where they held the Olympics. I did that last spring, and that was something something else. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely.
2: No, I'm I'm big on
1: the outdoors. Well, you hang out at Cave Run Lake. Oh yeah. Moment, yeah, too, right. It's a place that I I definitely hold hold dear to my heart. Um, all right, so let's take it back to to building a company in Kentucky. What does the future hold for Harold White Lumber and and building it in eastern Kentucky, and where do you guys want to take it going into the future?
3: I would say, you know, just the potential. This Our region, you know, I know we keep coming back to this region thing, but it's really poised for big growth. I think that our industry, you know, it's an ancient industry that's steeped in history. I think trying to find our place in this boom, in this modern era, you know, with employing these technologies and trying to diversify our workforce with old school and new school. You know, you have guys that have worked there for 50 years. And how do you blend this modern technology that is essential to our business with them and also bring on, you know, new ways of thinking, unconventional thinking into an industry that's for the most part, you know, until, like I said, the, 20, the turn of the 21st century has been done the same way for 200 years. So how are we going to positions our, position ourselves to, to implement, you know, a hybrid way of old with new? And how do we do that? And I think going forward, those are the big questions that we're going to be asking.